We've been in a three-part series titled Family Feud. The Lord gave me this series because I started seeing our community begin to interact with each other and start loving each other. You know, in the beginning of our church, and many of you were victims of this, I'd be like, okay, you need to go have coffee with that person, and you need to go meet with that person, because I was trying to get us into the habit of um, not waiting for relationships to happen, but for us to lean into relationships, no matter if they're black and 55 and, you know, you're Zach. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, why can't you be friends? Why can't you have relationships? But the world has taught us we're too different. And I'm, we have Jesus who unifies us. It's like that's what creates the diversity. And for some of you, this is your first time in, in a, a church that's not predominant uh, your culture. You know, for some of you coming from an Asian church or a predominantly white church or a black church. And this is your first time. And, and in the beginning, it's hard because you're like, oh, this is different. This feels different. How do I lean in? And so I saw this season where I, as the leader, needed to really lean in and go, okay, we need to make these connections and start this family and get people going. And now I'm starting to see it happen naturally where people are reaching out. I get phone calls. Like I got a text from, I think it might have been Lisa or somebody. And she was like, oh, is it weird that Calvin, who's like a 19-year-old Asian kid, wants to hang out with this, you know, uh, technically she's a grandma. She doesn't look like it, but technically she's a grandma. Uh, she brought a grandbaby today. It's like, can, can that happen? And I'm, and I'm going, apps, that's what it looks like. And we're going to talk about this today because we need each other. Hear me, hear me. It's not that we just want to be friends. You have something that I need. I've got a lot of stuff that you need. But if we don't lean in, if we don't choose to build these hard relationships, get offended and love and forgive in spite of, if we don't learn these tools, I, and so this series was really birthed out of that. Is it all right if I'm just chill today? Y'all good? All right, good. Um, because we haven't had a lot of fighting. Our fighting happened in the beginning, and then we fired people. Um, <laughs> and now it's all better. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I can say that when our church is bigger and nobody can guess who I fired. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to move on now. Um, have to edit that part out the video. God bless you. Oh, no, don't edit it. They don't watch our videos anyway. Um, <laughs> move on, Dale. Move on. Move on. So, no, because we have too many petty people and y'all are pulling on me. I feel it in the spirit. Uh, <laughs> but what I saw was the potential that as, because I talked to my pastor one time. He was the first person I talked to when I first church planted. And he was like, aim for diversity and all these different things, which has always been easy for me because I just have diverse friendships. I naturally do that. But then I talked to him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I got a bone to pick with you. Because you, in all the brochures you showed me, all the little church planning videos, everybody was different colors and different ages, and nobody was mad. Like, everybody just loved each other. Everybody gay. Like, everybody on the brochure was a tither. Like, everybody. It was like, you want my money? Here it goes, you know. It's like, oh, you're, you're different than me? Oh, my gosh, you voted for somebody I didn't vote for? Come on, give me a hug. It's like, that's not how it plays out in real life. Especially, let me give you a little insight into leading people of diverse backgrounds. You've got somebody that if you're too soft, they're going to check out and not hear you. You've got somebody if you're too hard, they're going to check out because you're too intense and you remind them of their mom. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, and so leading this, it's been beautiful. It's been a growing, sanctifying thing, but I'm stepping back going because it, our church has grown to a place where I can't, I don't know everybody. I can't control everything. It probably doesn't look like it right now, but <laughs> I promise you. I promise you, we are more than a Bible study. Um, just a little bit. 
Uh, but with that, I've even had to lean into sanctification, into humility, into holiness on a whole different level because I realized that my life isn't about me just walking around trying to receive. It's also about me learning how to give. And what that means is that you get the right as family to take from me even when, on days I don't like it, days where I'm too tired. I make bandwidth and space for those who I love, right? And with that said, now that our church is getting to a stage where I don't know everyone and people are starting to connect on their own and relationships are starting to form, I know what the enemy's going to do. All he needs is one little argument. <laughs> See, just like every other church. No, we're not. <laughs> You're just like every other church member. Um, no, it's a, because we, we constantly go into uh, relationships looking for exits. We go into new churches. I'm just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing to me. They will, I promise you. It's like, but we need to apply the same principles and faith that we have to our own natural family now to our spiritual family. We see Uncle Eddie all the time, and we still love Uncle Eddie. He's crazy, and he's the guy we have to warn people about before they meet him, but he's still Uncle Eddie. For some reason, we don't apply the same thing to our spiritual family, though, and some of you are going to get mad at me. From what I see in scriptures, it seems like the scriptures actually elevate the place of spiritual family over natural family. Even in the life of Jesus, Jesus is doing some ministry inside the house, and they're like, hey, your mom and your brother are outside. They want to see you. And this is how I can tell that Jesus wasn't black. Because <laughs> he was like, no, <laughs> don't, don't do that to a black mom. Latina one either. It won't work. <laughs> Difference between black women and, and Latina women, though, is like black women will stab you, and we're done with it. Latina women, they'll feed you after. I love it. It's like stab you. You want some food? Don't make me stab you again. Come on. Come and eat. <laughs> So I could tell Jesus wasn't black or Latino because he was like, no, woman, and he didn't die. Not yet, you know. Anyway, Jesus says, my family, my mother, my brother, are the ones who do the will of my father. So even in Jesus' own life, his natural versus his spiritual, he seems to elevate the spiritual family over the natural. And I'm not saying that one requires or is supposed to have more commitment than the other. I'm just saying there are some principles that need to come from the natural family that we apply and now apply it to the spiritual family. That as we come into this new formulated family, we're not looking for the exits. We're not looking to be offended. We're not looking to be hurt. We're actually looking to love. We're looking to lean in. We're looking to get to know people and to be seen. We don't want to hide in this church. Somebody say yes. All right, let me start preaching before I lose you. Turn with me to Romans. And today I'm, I'm preaching a message titled Fanily. Fanily, F-A-N-I-L-Y. Because God's taking us from fan to fam. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. And I promise you, I don't need a lot of amens today. Because this is not one of those amen sermons. But if you throw one out every now and then, I won't be mad at you. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 18. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New King James. And this is our, our theme scripture for this whole series, and I'm just going to kind of walk down Romans 12 today and go through it a little bit and just talk through, take the scenic route. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If you have it, say yes. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. God, I thank you for your word. Bless us as we receive it. Anoint me to preach it. Anoint your people to receive it. God, may your people be edified, may you be glorified, and that devil terrified in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Uh, you might not know this about me, but when I was younger, I, I can't put the age together, but when I was uh, probably middle school or something, my sister 
the WNBA had been going for about five years, I think, by then. Um, and my sister got hooked into the WNBA. Uh, first year, she's an, obviously an amateur, but by the second year, she was an all-star. I wish I could tell you stats, but I don't care about sports, so I have no idea what her stats are. I just know she was good enough to be a WNBA all-star, and she had a lot of fans, right? So here's the funny part, and I know this is going to be hard to believe, but I like food. <clears throat> and uh, I appreciate that. Um, no, but I remember, Kelly, going to these games, and this, like back in the day, WNBA, now it's kind of dwindled down a little bit. The support was so crazy big. You, uh, my sister played for, at that time, the Phoenix Mercury, and they played in the Phoenix Sun Stadium packed out the whole stadium, thousands and thousands of fans. And I can, even to this day, I don't care about fame. I don't care. I actually um, avert, uh, I have an aversion towards it because I don't like attention like that. That's surprise, surprise. God says, hey, I'm going to make you a pastor. You're going to preach to thousands of people around the world. Um, anyway, growing up, we'd go to these games and we spent all summer because it was mostly during the summer. And I hated it because Phoenix was uh, hot as purgatory. And you want to be careful. We've been cussing a lot lately, so i got to be careful. Um, but I remember uh, going to one of the games and being a little confused. Uh, had to be in middle school, I think. And I'm walking by, and thousands of people are just yelling and all that kind of stuff. One of the fans kind of snuck back to the VIP area, and she was looking for my sister. Her, her name was Brandy. It's like, where's Brandy? Where's Brandy? And I go, oh, do you, do you need her? Because I didn't know anything. I was like, oh, I could tell you where she is. Let me take you to the secret entrance you're not supposed to go through unless you have a badge. <laughs> it's like... And she's like, yeah, yeah. And so I take her to my sister, and uh, she's like, Brandy, this lady's looking for you. She's like, huh? <laughs> they have a quick little interaction, and I instantly realize I did something wrong, right? And it was like, okay, let me step back and see what's happening. And I realized, oh, shoot, she wasn't somebody important in, the, in terms of, like, media or anything like that. She was a fan, and she wanted to meet my sister. My sister was gracious at the time. <laughs> and she just signed the autograph and all that stuff, and the lady went on her way. Obviously, I got chewed out and got in trouble. And my sister said something very important to me. She said, understand something. Because I told her, I was like, I didn't know. I thought we could just come back and see you. I'm, nobody ever stops me. And this is what she told me, and it taught me a spiritual lesson. She goes, that's a fan, that's a fan over there. Your family. You get different access. Why are we talking about today going from, in terms of this church community, going from fan to family? Because on one level, as a church community, you will have access to good stuff as a fan. There are going to be people who, and people that are now who come to this church, they love the preaching. They love the worship. They even like some of the people. But they're still fan. They're still observing, and it's them and not us. And you'll get access to a certain thing. You're going to get anoint, anointing. You're going to get good preaching, good teaching. But there's different access when you lean into being family. On top of there being different access, and what do I mean by that? There's all, I tell people all the time, preaching is great. The worship is great, but you got to meet our people. You got to meet Zach. You got to meet Sylvia. You got to sit down with Lisa if you know she can find time for you. So busy. Uh, you got to spend time with these people because it's so much gold. And even and you guys have been hearing me say this, there has been more deliverance to happen over dinner tables than over our altars. People getting together and calling me and saying, "Oh my gosh, I met somebody who went through the same stuff I went through," and all of a sudden it makes sense now, and I got it. And there's all, and you have different access when you learn how to lean in. The downside of that is that it's hard to lean in. There's stuff that we put up with family that we would never put up with anything else like from anybody else. And that's what church was meant to be. He actually tells us, Paul writes in different parts of the New Testament, to treat the body of Christ differently than how you treat the world. He says, if you have an ought against a Christian brother, many of us obviously don't know this part of the Bible, he says, don't sue someone who's a Christian. 
Yeah, we missed that part. Yeah. He said, don't sue someone as a Christian. There's this thing of we put up with more. We have more grace for people who are our family. And Paul says it is not just okay to apply that to church and to the, your new community. It's actually a responsibility that I need you to treat those in the body of Christ with more commitment than you would treat those at your workstation. Why? Because there's life in the house. The second story I'll tell you, and then I'll move into the points, because I know we got some type A people, and I want to make sure you get taken care of before we leave. When I was younger, I, I was a bully. And uh, the thing that a bully hates is a bigger bully. <laughs> and so one day this bully was like, I'm going I'm to get you. And this is old school. Like, new school bullying is online. I want to be careful because I don't want to get canceled this early in my church ministry. Uh, but I grew up in the day of real bullying <laughs> where you couldn't type stuff and then not be held accountable. <laughs> I feel like the Internet has taught people to say stuff and not get punched in the face. Back in our day, you got punched. <laughs> All the mean people are like, yeah, that's right. We need to bring back punching in Jesus' name. How are they going to turn the other cheek if we don't get to slap one? <laughs> this is going to be a horrible message. Nobody's going to listen to this. To those who are watching, I'm so sorry. It'll be better next week. I had messed with the wrong person, and this person was like, I'm going to get you. And so I got on my bus, and the whole day I was thinking, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me. My only hope is to outrun him. Now, my grandmother never gave me a key to the house because uh, she's old school. She just didn't believe in key kids having access to stuff like that. And so I didn't have a key, and so my hope was maybe I can ring the door. I'll race up. He won't run after me, and I could just race up and get inside. So my house is about three stores up from the block, and he dropped me off. And I know he's about to kick my butt because he's getting off at the wrong stop. This is old school bullying. Y'all don't know nothing about this. Um, and he got off at the wrong stop, and I was like, oh, I booked it. I zipped with my 30-pound backpack. And I was, because for some reason, we decided to put all of our books in our backpack at once. But I'm zipping up. And I'm just like, oh, God, he's going to kill me. And I can hear him kind of close behind me. And I ring on the doorbell really fast. And then I turn around. My back is towards my house door. And I'm facing him. And he's nearly face to face. And he looks at me. And I'm just like, yo, we good? We good? Are we good? I know we ain't good. <laughs> but I'm trying to make it good. Are we good? Are we good? He's like, no, nah, we ain't good. No, nah, we ain't good. And then I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, his face changed. Where it was like, and so I was like, what is going on? I'm thinking, God has sent angels. Thank you, Lord. And I turned around, and it was my grandmother in rollers and a big muumuu. She was a different kind of angel. And she looked at him through the gate and said, do we have a problem? And I looked at her, looked back at him, and I said, yeah, do we have a problem? <laughs> I really haven't. My grandmother told me, shut up. I was like, got this. And I realized that day that there's something different where there is protection in the house. Not only do I have access to more things, but there is protection in the house. I'm going to preach a message soon about suffering, and there's two ways to suffer that we're supposed to suffer. Number one, we're supposed to suffer well, but number two, we're supposed to suffer with others. We were never meant to suffer alone. And for some of us, we are defeated in our faith, in and on walk, because we're not plugged in. I'm not talking about a small group. I'm not talking about the cheap forms of plugging in. I'm talking about real life, where we do life, where we get on each other's nerves, where I go to your house and get in your refrigerator, and you come in my house and you get in my refrigerator. I'm talking about real friendships, not this fake stuff where we see each other on Sundays. Let's have a coffee date, and we have a little coffee date, but we don't really do life with each other. We're scared. We're, we don't want to go deep. God is saying there is protection in the house. There's covering in the house. That coming under leadership, coming into submission of a community, there is such protection in the house. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Oh, you should already be there. Let's look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to 
this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And here's where we really want to start. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God dealt to each other one measure, one, uh, excuse me, let me say that again, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. Let me stop there for a moment. Paul's setting this up, and I'm using this text to kind of prescribe the kind of family that we're leaning into and how we're going from fan to family. The first step, he says here, is you need to humble yourself. You will never be able to access true family if you're arrogant because you cannot love people that you think you're better than. This house will always be a hospital. Let me warn you now, it's going to be full of hypocrites. <laughs> Sometimes I'm going to be one of them. It's going to be full of broken people. And if we feel like we're better than broken people, we'll never be able to lean in and make families out of those who are broken. Some of the things that we do in keeping, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but even this term triggered, which I, I totally use, I'm, I'm, I'm all down with. We have to be careful because what the world does is they say, I'm triggered, so you change. What the gospel says is, I'm triggered, so Lord, heal me. And we have to get to a place where we are so healed that broken people don't trigger us. Now, I've gotten to this place in some areas in my life. I'm not, I'm not there all the way. Sometimes I think I scare Andrew. He tells me I'm the king of compartmentalizing. But I've gotten to the place, and this might help you, where I can admit someone else's fault, faults or the things that bother me about them and still learn how to treat them with dignity, how to treat them with respect, how to treat them with love, and lean on my heart and say to the Lord, Lord, my heart's not right. It's not about them. And they might seriously offend me. They might seriously do something wrong. But if I'm going to be and build the kind of family that God has wanting me, is wanting me to build, I'm going to have to less of me and more of you. Lord, I'm broken. Heal me so that when angry people come, it doesn't trigger me to the point of wanting to escape. The ministry of Jesus is phenomenal. He meets a diverse crowd of people with different kinds of brokenness, and none of them ever trigger him. Some of them get on his nerves, like Peter. Peter was a little annoying. I'm the Peter of this church. But Jesus didn't allow the brokenness of the world or those around him to trigger. Now, the disciples all the time. <laughs> Two of the disciples, John and James, they called them the sons of thunder because they were crazy. The, the Samaritans, I think it was, didn't receive the gospel. They didn't receive Jesus. And Jesus, John, and James are standing on top of a hill. And, and they're like, they didn't receive the gospel, Jesus. Should we call down fire from heaven, thunder, and just kill them? Okay, that escalated kind of quick. But isn't that what we do? They voted for Biden. Every week, politics. They voted for Trump. Should we cast cow? I was preaching in Atlanta, and I shouldn't tell this story, but I was preaching, and the pastor made me mad. He started going off on California. I can't believe those whoremongering homosexuals just need to. And it's something ruder when you have, a, like, a southern drawl. It just feels a bit more intoxicating. Like, mm, I want to punch you. Because people with southern drawls, they aren't even saying anything racist sometimes. It just feels, I just want to go to in and out You racist? <laughs> <laughs> to my people in the South, I'm sorry. Um, it's like, brother, they just, you know, and he's trying to say it from a godly perspective. They just need to repent or God's going to throw them in the, and I was like, well, in my head, you know, it came out a little bit in the sermon, but in my head I'm thinking, yeah, I guess we have homosexuals and all that stuff. You guys have racist, wife-beating, uh, toxic masculinity, and God's been gracious to you. 
don't you think he'll be gracious to us? And we have this idea that there's enough grace for our flaws. Let me not touch on that one because I'll trigger some of you. But I'm saying this because in verse 3, Paul starts it off. He's talking about a bunch of stuff. But when he starts it off by saying, you got to be humble. You can't be arrogant. I watch so many people minister from a place of arrogance, from a place of you need my help. I don't need your help. You would not believe some people in this church are so surprised with how I interact with them. Like, are you really a pastor? You're so chill. I'm a pastor, but I'm a human first. There is no pastor on my birth certificate. I say that because just as much you need to learn from me, there's stuff that you need to be teaching me, especially you Gen X's, because I don't know the style anymore. I didn't know we weren't doing skinny jeans anymore. But if I think I'm better than you, if I don't humble myself, how can I humble myself to receive from you? Okay, little quick point, and then I'll move on. For those of you who are looking to get married, what you need to test is their teachability and their humility. Not just who, if they can receive from people who are respectable or higher than them, but can they receive from the 12-year-old? Can they be teachable from somebody less educated? It's so quiet in here. Uh, can they be teachable from somebody less educated? Why is that so important? Because there are going to be moments where they don't like you. But can they still hear you? Can they still receive from you? Does that make sense? All right, verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Here's what we have to separate. Doing from being. Everybody say this with me. I am a human being, not a human doing. This is so important, and this takes so much work to disassociate what you do from who you are. And that removes shame. It removes condemnation. But look at what Paul says in verse 4. For as many members in one body... All members do not have the same function. The reason I'm saying this is we have to disassociate our function from our identity because in this world, we associate value with function. And so because I'm the pastor, there are some of you who think I am better than. And it's like, no, no, no. Even, even the whole idea with husbands and wives and the to toxic masculinity issues, it's like, men, submit to your wife. We forget the whole verse that came right before that where Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. It's not this thing of, you know, let me lord over you as a man. But what this world does is they hate that kind of language because they associate hierarchy with value. In the kingdom, he says, you're different, but you're not less valuable. Watch what he says in verse 5. So we being many as uh, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Oh, we don't get to that verse yet. But it, later on, he, he talks about... One, we shouldn't say we don't have need of each other. I often do not think about my pinky toe. Feels very invaluable to me. Until I hit that sucker, I'm telling you, I can speak in tongues you don't need interpretation for. And then I found out, I had a friend who got diabetes, and they had their toe removed, or like one of their toes removed, and it said it messed up their entire balance, such a small piece of their body messed up the equilibrium and the whole being of their body. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. Don't down somebody because they're an usher. Don't down somebody because they didn't go to college like you went to college. Don't down. They might be different, but they're not less valuable. And every member needs each other. The other thing he encourages here in three or four and five, he says we're members of one body. We're also members of ourselves. It's okay to be individualistic. The goal is not to be dependent or independent. Watch this. The goal is to be interdependent. Did you hear that? Interdependent says, I could probably do this on my own, but I choose to do this with others. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go long, go with others. And I'm a witness. 
that it slows you down. And sometimes it's frustrating, but it is sanctifying. And we have to get to the place where we are interdependent. We have people in our community who are overly dependent, have that codependency thing. And that's not what God wants from us either. Because he doesn't want our relationship to be based on what our friends are doing, what the church is doing. We need to learn to have our own relationship with him. But at the, on the other end, he doesn't want us to be independent. Oh, I don't need anybody. How's that working out for you? I've never heard anybody say, oh, I don't need church, I don't need anybody, and be whole. Every person I've ever heard say that has brokenness, that they've gotten really professional at hiding, unforgiveness, roots of bitterness, because we were hardwired for relationship. Okay, I didn't mean to say this, but I'm going to give you this. Saint, I think it was St. August. It wasn't me. St. Augustine. I forget which saint. One of the good saints. He said it. He said, um, the Christian God is the only God that is a community into itself. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yes, one God, but a community in and of itself. We are hardwired to be communal. We are hardwired to be relational. And if Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit, I know that's a whole different vibe there because they're God. Uh, if, if they walk in that level of community, what makes us think that we're not required to walk in that? We, we cannot be independent. We can't be dependent. We have to be interdependent. Verse 5. Or excuse me, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us, uh, this is why I need one of those hands-free mics. This is ghetto, but we'll make this work. Having then the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in portion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it to in our ministering he who teaches in teaching, verse 8, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy. Oh, let me slip back right there because we got a few leaders. Can I read that one more time for our leaders? Um, he who leads with diligence. Amen. He who shows, let me stop one more time. Because leaders, if we don't get this, our church won't. If we're not committed to this, our church won't. If we don't vibe as a family, I'm not talking about that fake stuff, but the stuff that we've been leaning into for the last year, if we don't embody that in a diligent way, that word there means consistent. That if we're not consistently trying to walk this out, our family won't catch this. All right, let me move on. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness, which I love because sometimes people with mercy let you know that they're showing you mercy. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This is the verse where I'm going to stop, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. i got to stop. I can't even read the whole verse. i got to stop there first, and we'll read the second half, because that one hurt my feelings. Because I don't naturally enjoy being affectionate or kind. All right, I feel you judging me. But what the Holy Spirit had to show me is that if you're not kind, question your fruit. Kindness is not a weakness. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God in you. And here's what we're going to have to lean into. There are going to be some people that you want to treat dirty. And he says, don't just be kind. Be kind and affectionate. <laughs> I got to hug people. I got to be sentimental. 
if you know me, <laughs> you know I hate hugs naturally. And when I tell people that, sometimes they're so surprised because I'm told as a teddy bear I give the best hugs, the biggest hugs. Because I refuse to let my personality get in the way of my purpose. And part of my purpose is to be within family. And so there are times I don't, like I can be kind, like I won't be rude to you, but can I be affectionate? Paul takes it a little bit farther. He says, don't just be nice. I want you to be affectionate. When, when so he's leading worship, don't just say, oh, man, that blessed me. Like, really lean into it. Like, really give her a true, sincere, affectionate kind of compliment. Or however we lean into relationship, that we're leaning in, being intentional, that we're not. I think the, the world, and we have to be careful because the world has made us scared of touching each other. Uh, the pandemic, sexual harassment, Me Too, and all those are appropriate things. But we have to remember that we've been called to lean into affection to be kind to each other, to touch each other, to call each other, right? The second half of that, in honor, giving preference to one another. Now, I like the way that, uh, and I forget what version wrote it, but there's one version of this scripture that says, preferring your brothers over yourself. Or it says something like preferring your brothers, something to that degree. I like the way it says it in that way. And I didn't get it until I was in Jakarta preaching. And when I'm in uh, Jakarta, they treat me really nice. They put me in the Ritz-Carlton. It's like a five-star hotel. Um, and it's gorgeous. Now, what they did after they put me in the hotel was that they told me, hey, sometimes in this area there are bombings because Muslims don't like the rich people. And I thought, mm, do y'all have a Holiday Inn? It's like, never heard of anybody bombing a Holiday Inn. I'll even take a Motel 6 if it'll save my life. And I hate Motel 6, man. No better place to catch an STD. Um, man, I'm losing it today. Today I'm not very pastoral. <laughs> but in honor, I, I love this story. This is why I'm telling the story. It's because I notice I, I, I genu generally not a big fan of customer service because usually it's kind of rude. It's not very nice. They give you the minimum, and they're just there for the paycheck. And so I can be a little bit short with uh, customer service. And so I'm leaning in. And I'm kind of testing the waters, complaining about little things. Because uh, I ordered some food and it showed up kind of cold. So I'm like, hey, the food is cold. Is it okay if I get a refund or my money back or whatever? And they're like, oh, we'll give you a refund and we'll bring the new food up. <laughs> I was like, okay. Is this what it feels like to be rich? I like this. And what I found out is that each um, employee has $2,000 per customer that they're able to spend on them to make them happy. So if something's wrong, you have up to $2,000 to rectify the situation. I'm learning all this listening to a podcast because I wanted to research. I was like, man, I really like the vibe in here, especially when I go to Asia. Sometimes the, and I don't say this to be insulting, it's just been my experience. Sometimes the customer service takes on a tone that feels very subservient, like you're higher than me and I'm lower than you. And that makes me so uncomfortable because I don't see people like that. And it's, I just don't live in that world. And so that can be a bit frustrating. But in this arena, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like, man, you're less educated. You're less, you know, wealthy. Whatever it was, they were just regular awesome people that treated me well. In the podcast, he said something. He said, what we teach our people is that you're not servants serving ladies and gentlemen. You're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And that hit me as a principle of the kingdom here in this text in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 10. That's what it means to prefer your brother. It doesn't mean that you're better than me. It doesn't mean that you're more worthy than me. What it says is I, I'm a brother, I'm a sister in Christ. You're a brother, you're a sister in Christ. And if we're both thirsty and there's only a little bit of water left, even though I want it, if I can live without it, I'm going to prefer you over me. It's not from this place of insecurity. 
It's not from the place of, oh, you're the pastor, so I got, man, I will kill that in a minute. Ask Kelly. <laughs> Kelly, I tell all your business. Kelly drove me around. She's like, I'm driving the pastor around. I was like, uh-uh, we don't do that here. <laughs> not here. Uh-uh, we don't do that. And uh, her and I, we come from black church backgrounds, and that's just how it is. It's like the pastor is like crazy respected. And the reason I personally hate that is because I know whatever pedestal you guys put me on, I'm going to fall. <laughs> and I don't want it to hurt. So don't lift me up too high. Keep me down here on the ground. Keep me grounded. But I, I love even that interaction with her because it was this thing of like, I'm not better than you just because I'm a pastor. I might know more scriptures. I might have gone to different places than you spiritually, but it doesn't make me better because I need you to see me as a brother in Christ as broken. Because if you don't, you're going to get mad when I mess up. It's going to offend you because you're going to see me as your need to be perfect. It's almost that disillusionment that we can run into when we figure out that our parents are not perfect. That, oh, my parents are not perfect. Oh, my gosh. It's like you're younger and it messes up everything because you just expected them to be perfect. We have to require of each other not perfection, just blamelessness. It's the same thing that God requires. God doesn't require you to be perfect. He requires you to be blameless. What's the difference? Blameless says, I'm going to mess up, but I'm going to make sure I ask for forgiveness. I'm going to repent. I'm going to make sure I stay clean. But this whole idea of preferring your brother over yourself, I, I think we've got to learn this in this selfish generation. It is so healing when a brother or sister in Christ treats you well. What does that look like in a, in a smaller, mi more micro scale? When you walk in and you see somebody sitting by themselves like Connor's doing, even though I told everybody to sit in the first two to three rows. Um, when you see somebody sitting by themselves, it's like, here's what happens. It's, oh, man, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to make them sit up there. You're fine, Connor. I'm just messing with you. Um, <laughs> it's like, dang, I can't do nothing in this church. I can't sleep. I can't can't be rebellious man no but check this out come back because I only got a few more minutes um if you see somebody uncomfortably sitting alone here's what we do in church especially if we're not a leader or we don't have a position we see that and we go "Ooh, well I'm uncomfortable too so it's like we just go sit here and be uncomfortable you sit on that side and then I, I'm watching all all the introverts y'all are all laughing right now I can tell all y'all here's what this verse manifests itself to be I'm uncomfortable you're uncomfortable but I'm going to prefer you so I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to prefer you. And here's what the devil does. He lies to you. He tells you about how it's going to go wrong. Sweetie, it's one small, three-minute small talk interaction. Your life is not going to be over. You're not going to be embarrassed beyond repair. But what the devil does is he speaks these lies because he knows that you're worst off separated. But if we're going to prefer each other, what we're saying is, I'm not going to wait for you to approach me. I'm not going to wait for you to lean into me. I'm going to actually prefer you. Not because it's the rules or the regulations of this house. But these are principles of the kingdom. All right? Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. And that word keeps coming up because it speaks to this consistency. It is easy to do a good thing for a short period of time. But to build the kind of culture that heals, we've got to consistently build. Consistently uh, build in these principles. All right? He says to be diligent, fervent in the spirit serving the Lord. This is so important. And when I came across this in my preparation, I thought this is the transition we made a couple weeks ago at our prophetic night. One of the things I've been talking to Andrew about, I said, man, I want to make sure we don't become a community center, a big community group where everybody likes each other and we do some fun stuff. I want to move in the spirit. I want people to lay hands on the dead and watch them rise up. You know, I'm talking old school, I don't care if we've got 20 people or 20,000, I want everybody to be walking in power and anointing. But if we just think of church as community, we can miss out on the opportunity to go deeper in the spirit. So the goal of community is not just so that we like each other, there's healing there, but the goal is for us to buffet each other in the spirit. 
to, I was talking to somebody recently and I said to them, it's not enough for us to just empathize with our friends. We have to minister to our friends. It's not enough for us just to hear each other's stories and what we're going through. Do we have an anointing to speak into it, to, to prophesy into it? Is this making sense? And so God is calling us here, even in verse 11, to be diligent, but he's calling us to be fervent in the spirit. When we have prayer meeting, we're having a prayer meeting on the third Saturday of this month. Are you going to show up? Or are you tired from the week? Maybe you're not tired because you, you work so many hours. Maybe your soul's tired. Maybe your spirit is, okay, let me be careful. Verse 12, rejoicing in a hope. Can we just be hopeful again? Can we brush off pessimism? The snarky, uh, I don't know what the opposite of faith is, but this thing that says it's not, can we just hope again? Just believe again. But he says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Stop. If we're going to be the kind of community that God's calling us to be, can I tell you this? Healing is not a destination, it's a journey. And we're going to have to be patient. I know it's talking about being patient in tribulations, but sometimes tribulation can be wrapped in flesh. <laughs> sometimes tribulation goes to church with you. Sometimes tribulation is on the usher board. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And what Paul's saying is I need you to be patient. Yes, in your, in your actual tribulation. But when you're going through a trying relationship, I want you to be patient. Don't rush the process. Some of us are like, if we don't reconcile in the next, you know, two weeks, it's done. And people come and check out our church for three weeks and they're like, oh, yeah, do it. It's like, chill out, calm down, breathe. Let's be patient with each other. Let's be patient in working out trials and tribulations even with each other. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distri uh, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Hear me out. It is important that the church as an organization is not the only thing meeting the needs of our house. If you hear about a need, point at yourself. Come on, really quick. Point at yourself. Um, my pastor... Say this with me. My pastor has ordained me to minister to other people. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, you have permission. You don't have to wait for me to tell you to love on somebody. If you see somebody in need and you can meet the need, go to the bank and meet the need. Stop waiting for an organization to do it. I, love, I tell the story all the time because like, I love that story. Andrew was at his uh, lesser church, I'm sorry, at his previous church, and <laughs> I told you, I'm carnal all day today, and I actually prayed, you know, God help me. But he said at his um, older church, uh, they were having a little town hall meeting like we do from town to town, we probably need to do one soon, and um, they said, uh, somebody stood up and said, you know, what is such and such church, let's call it church A, you know, what is our church, what is church A doing about, you know, the homeless crisis? And the person leading the meeting just looks at him and says, yeah, yeah good, great question. What, what are you doing to meet the homeless crisis? And they're like, well, what, huh? It's like, no, I'm asking about what is our church doing? Yeah, yeah, you, you're the church. What are you doing? When we have this perspective that the church is there to meet needs and we don't see ourselves as collectively the church, we won't see ourselves as needing to meet the needs unless it's in a corporate business fashion. So if I take an offering for single moms, it's like, I'm there. You got it. You're putting the money down. What about the single mom that's sitting right next to you? What, what would happen if you offer some free babysitting? Not you, Kelly. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Lisa, don't ever let Kelly. You'll get home and Brian and Brianna will be duct taped up to the ceiling. 
But I say this because if we're going to build the family that God wants us to build, we're going to have to learn how to meet each other's needs. Now, that's fiscally. Let's talk about emotionally. There are some people, they don't need your advice. They just need an ear. I'm the kind of person you have to communicate that because I'm just a pastor, so I just I work in that mode because most people who do talk to me want some advice. Um, but from time to time, people will be like, I, like Andrew will do it or somebody will do it and be like, I, I don't need advice. And I'll be like, okay, I'll give you what you need. Because I'm here not just to have my needs met. I'm here to meet your needs as well. Ooh. Can I get an amen from you, Andrew? Because <laughs> it's, it's like we don't, we don't like that. We, like, we, don't, we don't want anybody in our space. We don't want anybody in our work. Like, don't, don't whatever. But then we're also mad that we're lonely. We don't have friends. We're upset that you know, nobody really cares for me at the church. Maybe you should try care. Okay. Verse <laughs> 14, because I feel feisty today. Bless those who persecute you. Stop cutting them off. Work it out. Stop walking around the whole church because somebody talked to you funny the other Sunday and you're trying to dodge them. It's like, no, no, no. Let's walk together in this relationship. Bless those who persecute you. Don't talk crap about them. Don't subtweet. Don't post about them on Instagram. Bless them. Sometimes you got to bless them through your teeth. I've been there. I just bless you in the name of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't feel like a blessing, but just give it to you, Lord. It's what I got. Um, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Stop pooping on everybody's parade. There are some of you who are professional poopers, and as soon as some, and really it's because we have bitterness, jealousy, different stuff in our own heart, and we can't seem to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so it's like, man, I got a new job. Okay, what about this? Did you figure this out, and did you take care of this? And it's like, okay, mom, <laughs> chill out. How about we just celebrate the fact that I got a new job? Like, if you call me and you talk to me about something you did that was awesome, I'm going to gas you up. I'm, and it's never fake. I promise you, it's always real because I'm genuinely a fan of just about every member in our church. There's a couple of you guys working on my heart. Um, <laughs> they're not here. Uh, yeah, they're not here. Um, but this is one thing I had to learn to do because I grew up in a critical household. And so my natural response to everything was to look for something that's missing or to look for something that's wrong. And I had to learn how to get excited about stuff that's not exciting to me. I, we have one guy, he's a venture capitalist, and I, I promise you, when he talks to me about his business, he might as well be talking in Chinese. <laughs> like, but then I'll ask him, I was like, cause I, I need to translate it so I can celebrate sincerely. I'd be like, okay, so what does that mean if I'm six years old? <laughs> the true, true conversation. And he'll tell me, and I'll be like, that's awesome, that's amazing, that's the bomb, right? It's like sincere, but I had to learn how to rejoice with people and, and get out of my own bitterness about what's not working for me What's not happening for me and all that kind of stuff. Some of, when's the last time you celebrated somebody? Hit somebody up in the church today. Find a reason to celebrate. I got so mad one time. <laughs> Andrew knows what I'm about to say. I got so mad. We were in a circle one day because we do these uh, team meetings. And we got in a little circle. It was about 15 of us or so. And it, it was a great service. And Andrew just kind of said, hey, anybody got anything nice to share about what God did? Nobody said anything. And everything in my head was like, don't say nothing. Don't say anything. Be quiet. Just let people Maybe they just need time, you know, just give them space. Nobody, sh oh, I, I lost it in my spirit. Because <laughs> I would never go off on people out loud. 
but I lost it. I was just like, I talked to Andrew after. I was like, I can't believe you couldn't find something nice to do. You were 20-something years old, college educated, all that, and you couldn't find something nice. It's not that there wasn't something nice. There's no niceness in your heart. Like, I was just, I was, so, I don't know if I said all that, but I just went off. I was just super angry. We have to learn how to celebrate each other again. That when something goes well for somebody, stop messing it up for them. I got a new boyfriend. I know. So happy for you. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. And, and here's what I'm, here's why. Sanctification and holiness doesn't happen outside of community. That one felt good. I finally got something spiritual. You don't realize how holy you're not until you interact with people. And you don't realize how holy you can be until you submit to God's will and not your personality. Let me move on because I, I got a few more things to say. I don't want to go long this like I did last week. And weep with those who weep. Can you get healed? So that you're not uncomfortable with someone else's mourning. Some of us are uncomfortable with anger. We're uncomfortable with sadness. And we're constantly trying to reframe things for people so that they're not sad, so that they're not angry. Anger is appropriate. Sadness is appropriate. These are emotions that we need to feel that tend to be painted more negatively in our church culture and society. But here's what God says to us. There are going to be times where people are mourning, where they are sad. Even Jesus was sad. He wept a couple of times that we have recorded in Scripture. Here's what Jesus says. I want you to learn how to sit in pain with other people. That's what it means to go from fan to fan. Yeah, there's greater access, but there's also greater responsibility. That when you share something with me in passing, it's not this awkward thing of like, ooh, accident. Because you know what we do. Can, I, can we be honest? Okay, I'll, I'll be honest for myself. <laughs> You can just pretend like I'm not talking about you. It's like you'll interact with somebody thinking you're going to have small talk. Be like, man, how are you doing? My mom just died last week. Well, at least you have an auntie. You know, it's like we're awkward for a moment. And we're just like, like, how do I escape this moment? Here's what I've learned and trained my heart to do. It's not about you, Dell. Go ahead. Sit in this with them. And it's only uncomfortable for a few seconds. And then when you stop thinking that it's about you, you learn how to shut up. You learn how to start listening. And you'll find there have been times where I don't even say anything. I just ask questions along the way. And people will be afterwards, man, you're such a great conversationalist. Because <laughs> people like talking about themselves. And we need to give space for that in this community for both the rejoicing but also the weeping. All right? A few more verses. Verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Can, like, it, he's just saying be humble. Don't seek the spotlight. Don't make this church about what you can gain. And I love that we have that kind of community, that we don't have people who are seeking. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. I'm like, you're supposed to have the mic. Go take the mic. Go take the stage. But he says, in order to be healthy, I want you to come from this place where you're seeking low things, seeking the humble things. Where I, I know you're the man of power for the hour and you can prophesy and speak in tongues. But can we get you to be anointed to pick up paper after church? I, I get it. Be anointed behind the pulpit, but also be anointed to clean bathrooms. All right, that didn't get a good response. 17, repay no one for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, uh, let me skip down to verse 19 because it's partnered with 
Actually, let me just read, read through 17 through 19. Repay no one for evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Watch this, verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rule, rather give place, uh, sorry. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. I don't have my contacts in, so this is going to take a little bit longer. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place, uh, give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, I wanted to read those all together collectively, and that's kind of where I'm going to end, and then I'm going to refresh us on a few points, and then we'll be out of here. Promise, we'll, we'll end before seven. This is hard for me, and I want you to hear me as I talk. This is weird to say because I'm so young, but as the father of this house, this is hard for me because uh, church planning is not easy. It is so, Zach, you know, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of work, and there's a lot of space for offense, <laughs> and I am easily offended. <laughs> I am very sensitive. Um, I have a hard exterior, um, a good-looking exterior, but nonetheless a hard one. Uh, but internally, just super sin- and I can find myself getting offended just by the smallest things, even things that aren't even about me or affect me. And I can be very vengeful in the most Christian of ways. I'm not going to tell you any stories because God's delivering me. But here's what the Lord had to teach me. He said, Del- vengeance is mine, justice is yours. What? Help me understand that. Vengeance is mine, justice is yours. What's the difference between vengeance and justice? I'm going to give you a simplified definition. Vengeance is payback. Justice is making that which is wrong right again. Say this because I experience injustice on both macro levels but also micro. And many of us can identify injustices on a macro level. And so when we see the KKK hanging black people, that's an injustice. And we're enraged, right? But it's also injustice when somebody says something that's offensive to us. That's also something that is unjust or out of place. Here's what Jesus tells us through his scriptures. I want you to go after justice. Let God go after vengeance, which is also why he said pray for your enemies. Because when God goes after vengeance, (laughs) it ain't pretty. There is a natural tendency for us that when someone wrongs us, we want to make them feel the pain that we felt. This is why forgiveness is going to be important if you're going to be in this family. Because one of the things I've given permission for people to do is be whoever you are in your process. Aim for Jesus. We're, we're all trying to look like him. But be honest in your process. Have some days where you just don't have it together and you still show up. And that's okay. You're going to have some good days and some bad days. You're also going to have some days where you love this family. And you, it could do no wrong. But then you're going to have days where enough people have hurt you and you haven't dealt with it. And now you're like, let me tell you. (laughs) And there's this tendency that we can have that when we've been hurt, we're going to hurt like we've been hurt to make you feel the pain that we feel. And that's where vengeance comes from. I want you to experience the pain that I felt. It's almost, uh, I forget what the term is, but there's a term for when you see somebody experience pain and you feel joy for it. A lot of that is derived from unhealed wounds of unforgiveness and finally you get to rejoice in someone else's affliction because somewhere subconsciously it's applied to an offense that you haven't gotten right I know this is heavy but hear me because this is so big and this is the whole point of family feud we we end it here you will get your feelings hurt 
by the pastor of this church. You will get your feelings hurt, not deserving to get your feelings hurt, by leaders in this house. What's going to be your response? Oh, I'm going to just let them know. I'm going to write this blog and they just <laughs> go let me know. And here's what I've learned. When you have to defend yourself, it's because you don't have a strong enough revelation that God can defend you. I was getting ready to head to a theological debate one time, somebody who didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit. And I don't know that much Bible, but I knew enough to call them stupid. And so uh, I took the engagement and I was ready because back then I loved to argue. When you get older, you just run out of energy. It's not that I like to argue less. It's like, oh, it's not worth it. I'm going to be tired. <laughs> so, um, and I was going to, and just as, a, and I've heard this happen to other ministers too, but Zach, as I'm going, because I'm going to argue, I'm going to let them know what the word says. And I'm going to tell them what's right when they're wrong. And I, and I was right, you know, I knew the word. I was in the right standing with the Lord, uh, but my heart wasn't in the right place. And as I'm going there, the Lord says, I don't want you to defend yourself. But, Lord, they call us a cult. They call us this. They call us all this other stuff. We're going to show them. It's like, nope. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous, they run in his name, and they are safe. I found out I can defend myself like he can defend me. I can't pay back my enemies and those who have hurt me like he's hurt me. But how do I release that spirit of vengeance? The key is forgiveness. Look at me for a second. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an action. It says that you did something to me. You owe me. But I choose to say that you no longer owe me. Jesus comes and says, sometimes you're going to have to forgive seven times 70. That's 100. What's the math on that? I don't know why I'm just like pointing at Zach. Like, I don't know. I'm going to be racist. You are Asian and young. So I just, what is it? 490. Four, four, what? You are Asian. Okay, perfect. Fit my stereotype. Um, and and uh, hop on the keys so, he, so I can stop being carnal. And I hope y'all catch something from this, even online, because we down here, we're just having a good time. Um, Jesus takes it farther and says, there will be moments where you need to forgive 490 times about one issue in one day. <laughs> Come here, Savior. <laughs> They're going to keep doing the same thing because what I was raised on, oh, you're not going to keep doing the same thing and just me. And I'm just, you. maybe you got two times. I, I can always tell who grew up like I grew up because y'all laughing. It's like, I'm going to just let them know because you're not about to whatever and all that kind of stuff. And what you don't know is that you're missing out on the inheritance that comes with family. Because you refuse to forgive. You know what makes it easier for me to forgive? I think about the stuff that I'm still trying to get out of my life. Tones that I just can't help. I'm like, man, I didn't even mean to. I, just, I need grace. I need grace if I'm going to be in a relationship with people. That keeps me humble. To remember that if I need grace, who am I not to forgive? People are going to hurt you in this house. They're going to hurt you doing the same thing that you already talked to them about. Are you going to choose to be like the world who says cut them off and have no part of them? Or are you going to potentially be the part of their healing? There are people. There are people in this church that I have hurt dramatically 10 years ago, years past. That are receiving their blessing their miracle, their revival in their home, in their life, they're receiving it now in this house under my leadership, a pastor who hurt them 10 years ago 
because they chose to forgive. They chose to say, Pastor Dell, you did me wrong and I felt like you owed me, but I choose to release you from the debt so that I don't have to pay back evil for evil. Because that's God's job. He's in charge of vengeance. What am I in charge of? Justice. What does that look like? He gave you a scripture. He says, when you have an ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar. Go make it right. Justice. Yeah, I'm, I don't really like conflict. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. If you don't have, if you don't like conflict, if you, the personality type, INFP, you don't have to follow this one. I, I love emotional intelligence. I take a personality test in a minute to see how crazy I am. But I am not going to let me, let it limit me from being more like Christ. I can be an extrovert, I can be an introvert, but it won't stop me from what God's called me to be. I will not let my personality, your personality, keep me from godliness. Because there are some people that I'm actually, if I stay in relationship with them, I might not receive much, but they're going to walk in healing. Five reminders for us, just in terms of our family values, I'm just going to breeze through. But I'm I'm trying not to cry, but I think about this because one of the reasons I love Andrew so much, and I talk about it all the time, part of it is so he doesn't go back to his old church. He's like, I love you more than them. They paid you more, but I loved you more. <laughs> but one of the reasons I love him is because there, there were moments I was a jerk. <laughs> Some of you are like, you use a past tense? It's like, yes, I'm being delivered. But he reminded me of a time we were sitting down having dinner. I cooked. I love cooking for folks. It's how I love on people. And um, I was cooking for a friend, and he happened to come over. And I just looked at Andrew and said, I just want you to know you're not my friend. I'm cooking this for my friend, and you get to receive by way of this relationship. And Andrew just looked at me and was like, okay, and then just ate. Because <laughs> if you know Andrew, he likes to eat. Oh, it was his birthday. <laughs> and I was such a jerk, right? This guy is now, if not my best friend, one of my best friends. And I think about it, that he had grace to maybe not like me in my brokenness, like the junk that I was doing, but he had enough grace to not pay back my evil with more evil, therein creating a chasm in our relationship. Why is that so important? Because now 10, 5, 10 years later, he's been such a source of healing in my life. I know I'm the pastor, I'm the boss, all that stuff, but I can go to him talk, process things with him, and he's able to bring a heal. And I'm able to do the same for him in different ways. But what if he had gotten offended with me and cut me off? I promise you, you would not like me as a pastor. <laughs> you, th you thank God every week for Andrew. I know you might like my preaching, but behind the scenes, you better be, thank you for sending Andrew. Because Andrew's that guy who can pull me back. He can help me to understand things in a, a different way. He can slow me down a little bit. And it's not just because you know, nobody can't do that or anything. And I'm using this relationship because it's a perfect example of what we're aiming for in this house. That you can survive with people in their broken season so that you can thrive with them in their healed season. Some of you are cutting off people you're called to heal because they won't do what you told them. They won't take your advice. They keep offending you. No, no, make it right. Five things. These are our family values. Number one, we're presence-driven community. In Exodus chapter... 33 verse 15 Moses was getting ready to do something great for God and he said I'm not going unless your presence goes before me 
One of the reasons we haven't done small groups is because we haven't felt released to do it. One of the reasons we haven't done some of the other things, and it's not because we're better than other churches or doing things differently, it's that we're presence-driven. So you're going to come to this house and on Sundays, and I want to encourage you, because I know some people come late because they don't want all this long worship. Submit your flesh to the hunger of your spirit. Of course your flesh doesn't want to sit down for 40 minutes and sing a song unless you've got karaoke and alcohol. The question is, is he worthy? And if he is, go ahead and submit your body. One of the reasons I started losing weight, you mention it every week. One of the reasons I started losing weight is because I want it to physically be better for what God wants to do for me spiritually. I want to be able to travel and preach and not get winded. I want to not be tired all the time. And so I'm going to make my body submit so that I can go after the presence. Number two, we're a biblical community. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 says, we don't live by manna or bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And I mean that both prophetically, but I also mean that scripturally. That we're not going to be a presence-driven church that doesn't have a value for the word of God. This thing, watch this, is going to lead me. Not my own desires, not my own flesh, not my own personality. I'm going to do what this word tells me to do. That's what it means to be a biblical community. The next thing we're going to be is glocal. That means we're going to have a heart for the global and for the local of what God wants to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he talks about you're going to start here and then go out to Samaria, Judea, and throughout the ends of the world. God has a heart for, yes, the world, but he has a heart for Hayward. He has a heart for Fremont. He has a heart for whatever city you live in. And what God wants us to do is to have a heart for both the global gospel movement but also the local gospel movement. Number four is generosity, and I won't talk about that too much because I'll get offended if I start talking about people's God money. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow graciously will reap graciously. Now, we're not a church that believes, you know, if you give, you'll get more. We give to give. Say that with me. We give to give. Say it like you actually meant it. We give to give. That's why we give. If God doesn't give us a, heart, uh, a new car, we're still going to give. If we don't get a new house, we're still going to give. We're going to give because the kingdom needs it. We need to buy flights, and they don't take faith as payment. They take money. So we're going to give generously. But watch this. Not Generosity isn't just about money. Because typically people can't be generous with their money because they're not generous in their soul. And God wants a generous soul. So that I'm going to make the introverts mad. I don't know why I'm picking on you all today. I'm not going to give people just enough of my time. Don't worry. I'm not going to look at you, Lisa. She's waiting for me. She's like, <sighs> pick on her everywhere. She's my favorite introvert. But you know what we do. It's like, I'm just going to give enough. Just give enough of my time. Just give enough of my money. Just give enough of my talent. The kingdom is all about generosity. Look at the world that he made. He didn't need to make all this stuff. You know how many bugs there are in this world? When I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to them about it because they should have been wiped out with a flood. But they grew wings and called them cockroaches. Uh, it's like, but you know what it is? God expresses in generosity. He doesn't make just enough. He feeds the loaves of fish or loaves of, loaves of bread and the fish. And then there's 12 baskets left over because he's extravagant like that. Not wasteful. Extravagant. So even in your time and in your space, are you desiring to give because if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And so people, it's going to always feel like people are just giving you enough of their time or just enough of their finance or whatever it is. But watch, as you give generously, 
I don't make a lot of money. As a matter of fact, right, and I don't like to talk about it, but I barely make anything, right? But God is still sustaining. He's still blessing. There are people who think I'm so rich, and I have to tell them that my generosity isn't my bank account. It's my heart space. And so it's easy for me to be generous with my funds, with my time, all that kind of stuff, because my soul is generous. So when I'm asked for money, when there's a need for my time, I preach for people for free. I serve people for free because God is my provider. Revelation, look at me. You will never run out of money. You will never run out of time. You will never run out of energy because everything that you need for life and godliness, according to scripture, he's already given it to you. Well, I don't have this money. You must not need it. Right. Last one, community. Psalm 68, verse 5 or 6, it says this. It says, but I've taken the lonely, and I've set them in family. And I've taken the rebellious, and they're in a desolate place. You know how many people are in dry seasons? Not because the Spirit of God isn't moving in their life, but because they refuse to engage community. Psalm 68 says he's placed the lonely in families. And lonely not just being an emotional disposition, but he's placed those who have been walking alone. He's placed them in families. But he says to the rebellious, to those who rebel, they're in a desolate place. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart because people will meet with me and they say, Pastor Dell, I'm just, I'm not doing good. And I'm just in this bad place and I'm just whatever. And listen, don't worry. Next week I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach you happy, I promise. But this week I just felt like I needed to talk to you for a minute. And I'll have people say, man, I'm just in such a bad place. And I know what they want. They want a prophecy. They want a prayer. They want an encouragement. And they get so mad at me when I say, when are you going to come to dinner with us? When are you going to, I mean, we've been telling you, we had beach hangouts, we had all kinds of stuff. When are you going to actually show up to something besides Sunday? No, 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 Pastor, I, you know, I, pray for me. No, 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 I don't want to pray for you because prayer is not what you need. It's community that you need. You're in a dry place, not because the Spirit of God doesn't want to move, but because he's supposed to set you in family. So I want to ask you a question, and those who are watching at home who didn't come to church today, are you a fan or are you fam? I'm looking around, most everybody who's who's here has been here for a minute. And I want to just ask the question, are you going to be a fan of this house? Fan of what this house is called to do? Fan of the preaching? Fan of the pastor? Fan of the worship team? Because you'll get benefits, I promise. You'll get blessed. You'll receive an anointing. Are you going to choose to lean in and find a place finally where you can work this out? That's what it's all about, fam. We're just trying to be more like him. And you found a place where there's enough grace. Oh, I like that. (laughs) There's enough grace for whatever season that you're in. In this house, nobody's going to look at you and be like, oh, man, you really must not know the Lord if that's what you're going through. You know what they're going to say? Me too. (laughs) You're going to tell your story and be like, oh, girl, you ain't the only one. (laughs) Let me tell you, I almost killed him. like some of you moms get with some other moms get encouraged I promise you you'll stop throwing your kids across the room I talked to one mom just and stand with me uh stand with me she's so gentle but she said to me I was like hey do you ever get mad at your kids because I never see you get mad and she looked at me with all diligence in her heart and said um there are days I want to grab that three-year-old girl by her neck and throw her across the wall and I was like okay that escalated kind of quick and it was from a person who was so soft and tender but we got to talking, and in the conversation, she was so stressed out, just in a season where we're feeling overwhelmed. 
And I just looked at her and I said, who are you walking with? What other moms are you walking with? They're like, oh, I'm not, you know, just too busy. You're too busy for community? That just means you're too busy. There's some stuff you need to cut out. And many of us have been coming and we love the house. We love the spirit that's in this house. I promise, such a beautiful spirit. But can I tell you, there's something you're supposed to give to this, into this house. There's something you're supposed to add into the value of this house. And there's things that you're supposed to be sanctified in that won't be worked out until you walk it out in community. This generation hates to commit. We don't like commitment. It's scary. It's responsible. It's accountability. And I didn't even talk about those. Those are two of my points. That family requires accountability and commitment. you got to commit to this thing. I'll end with this. Sitting down with my pastor, and we were talking about relationships. And he was saying, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to romantic relationships, he said, a lot of times your generation tries to figure out, do I like this person? Is this person somebody I can, you know, deal with and whatever? And if it works out, then we're like, okay, you're my friend. You're my girlfriend. You're my boyfriend, whatever it is. You're both. He said, the biblical way to do it is to actually make covenant and then commit to the covenant. I said, Pastor, what are you talking about, Willis? He said, you need to decide, is that person a friend? And if they're a friend, commit to that covenant. Yeah, but what if they hurt? Commit to the covenant. No, I get it. There are going to be seasons where somebody's too toxic and we need to make boundaries. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we don't have to have space and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about your heart, your heart. Does it want to be family or does it want to just be a part of a cool organization? Because we're going to be a cool organization, I promise you. <laughs> Working on it. But you won't get the benefits of everything that God's called you here for. And we won't get the benefits of why God's called you here. So I'm going to ask you, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment to ask your heart. When it comes to this house, or if you're a visitor tonight, and you're part of another house. Apply this to the house that you're a part of. Do I want to commit to these values of walking it out with family? Fighting it out with family. Just take a moment to just think for a moment. Am I ready to commit to what that means? That might mean humble myself. It might mean that there are going to be times I, I, I'm right, but I look wrong. There'll be lots of times I've got to forgive. There'll be times I need to serve, and I don't want to serve, but the church needs it for the kingdom. Things I'm asked to do that I don't want to do. There'll be financial sacrifices that God's going to call me to make at times. But I'm doing this so that we can build the family. Is, is that what your heart is saying tonight? I want this to be more than just an organization. God, I want this to be family for me. I want, I want them to be a part of my celebrations, a part of my successes, but also a part of my failures. Part of my grieving. I want to walk with him. I want this, this chubby little prophet guy to be my pastor, but not just a mentor in my life. I want him to be a father in my life. I want him to speak into even the areas I don't normally let people into. If that is your commitment, would you just go ahead and make a covenant between you and the Lord right where you are? And if that's not where you are today, don't feel shame. I get it. We're all in different parts of our journey. But if you are in the part of your journey where you're saying, man, even if you've been committed, but you know in your heart it hasn't been family. It's like, this is the people I'm with for a minute, and then we'll see where I'm next season that I'm at. It's like, no, no. Can God settle your heart here? If that's you, I'm, I'm going to ask you just to go ahead and begin to pray, talk to the Lord for a moment, and make a commitment to this house. 
I'm not doing this because we need more members. I'm doing this because I can't do it by myself. We've got to do this as a family. So would you just take a moment? Begin to talk to the Lord. You might have to ask God, is this my house? Go ahead. <laughs>